Hi, I'm Jimmy Coe. And I'm Stephen Hawk. And we're the host of the Cosmic Sponge Podcast, where we explore the unknown from UFOs and cryptids to unexplained disappearances and ancient mysteries. If you're looking for strange stories that will keep you on the edge of your seat, jump on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or search for Cosmic Sponge on your favorite listening platform. Head on over to our website at www.cosmicsponge.com to get access to all of our content, including a full list of platforms where you can enjoy the show. Hey everyone, Natalie here from The Pendulum's Path. If you need guidance, direction, spiritual connection, or more, then listen up. I have worked as a psychic and a medium for over three years, connecting people from all over the world with their loved ones in spirit, giving them insight and guidance into their current situations, the past healings that need to be worked on, and what it is they need to know today in order to have a better future. It would be my absolute honor if you would visit my website at www.thependulumspath.com. I also offer emailed readings for those with busy schedules too. Also, for you goblins who subscribe to the Esoteric Book Club, I have a special coupon code just for you. Enter the code STAYWEIRD to get $5 off of any order of $25 or more. Hope to see you there. I've got to issue a content warning for this episode. Topics may include kidnapping, stalking, and assault. If these subjects bother you, well, maybe you should skip this episode. Otherwise, proceed with caution. Protection isn't only the ability to keep yourself safe from curses, hexes, or jinxes. It also encompasses our ability to set the energies to our homes to safe and feel that security in our bones. I've devoted a decade and a half to the service of protecting those around me professionally. I was the head of security for a top real estate firm in the state of Delaware, and I have also worked to protect public personalities, CEOs, CFOs, and senior executives. I volunteer to act as escorts for women undergoing sensitive medical procedures, divorce decrees, and court appearances for domestic violence cases. I learned all too young that our world isn't as safe as it should be. I spent my formative years protecting my friends from schoolyard bullies and potential threats that only an elementary school-aged child really understands. As the tallest kid in the first grade, head and shoulders above the tallest boy, I felt the weight of protecting those smaller, weaker, and more shy than I. My need to protect myself and those close to me drove me to join the local dojo the moment I had my own money and could drive myself. After my first Saturn return, an astrological demarcation of roughly 27 to 29 years, my previous job experience seemed like another lifetime ago. I had been working in executive protection, but I missed my tarot clients and the holistic atmosphere of working around witchy people every day. I was in the broom closet and had little time for covens, pagan conferences, or even my own spirituality. That is, until one day, one of the security officers that reported to me came up to me before my shift to say, So, you're a witch. My name is Jason, and you're listening to the Esoteric Book Club.
Welcome back, Goblins! I'm your host, Jason, and tonight we will be taking a look at the book Blackthorn's Protection Magic, A Witch's Guide to Mental and Physical Self-Defense by Amy Blackthorn. Before we get started, though, I'd like to thank the members of the Esoteric Archive, specifically Annie K, Soul Rising Studios, and Grand Inquisitor Samantha. Your contributions help purchase reading materials, pay server costs, and to make sure that there is always caffeine in my bloodstream. If you would like to join the Esoteric Archive, go to patreon.com forward slash esotericbookclub. Patrons pledging as little as $3 a month get extended episodes, and those pledging more get shoutouts on shows, as well as a warm tingly sensation that I assure you has absolutely nothing to do with your recent spider bite. You really need to go see a doctor about that. But enough about all that. You're here for some magic. So, without further ado, let's get weird. The short passage that you just heard is from the introduction to today's book. Amy's immediate response to the statement was, Who have you been talking to? Which pretty well demonstrates that she is absolutely in private security. Now, while the person in question may not have had any malicious intent, merely by bringing it up, they had opened Amy to ridicule from her staff, her clients, and potentially the public at large. Not to mention potentially life-threatening situations because, let's face it, there are still people in this world who want to burn witches. And that pretty well sums up the overarching theme of this book. Protection magic is one part protection and one part magic. You need both to be fully covered. As Amy states, quote, Our understanding of personal protection needs to extend beyond curses, hexes, and jinxes to include real-time monitoring of your personal, bodily, home, and psychic security, end quote. Of course, a good foundation is necessary to begin, and the initial question for a book such as this is, what is magic? Amy defines magic as a set of coordinated actions such as lighting candles, singing songs, or burning incense performed to create intentional change. She lists a series of typical items used for this purpose and further elaborates by saying, Magic can also manifest in prayer, rituals, magical motions, dances, music, chants, and stories. So basically, if you perform a series of unrelated or symbolically related actions for the express purpose of influencing change, it's considered magic. Something very important to note here is that magic is not defined by its success. You can still perform magic that doesn't yield results. Magic isn't foolproof, and it's never a sure thing. Next, Amy defines a curse. A curse is, quote, a magical, ritual action intended to cause magical harm to a person, persons, corporations, public figures, or governments, usually because of perceived, or actual, wrongdoings on the target's part. This seems pretty clear to me after hearing the definition of magic itself. A curse is simply performing magic in retaliation. 
Did you notice what was missing from that definition? When we think of curses, most people imagine fairy tale or modern media versions of a curse, and that spell usually is the result of some measure of malice. By definition, a curse is harmful, but it is not necessarily malicious. It is a magical response to a threat. So, if that's what a curse is, what is a hex? This one is a bit more intangible. A hex is a ritual action announcing to the universe, god, goddess, spirits, or others, the practitioner's own desire to manifest harm to another person, persons, corporations, public figures, or governments because of perceived wrongdoing. So, a hex is like hiring a spiritual hitman. The magical practitioner is getting a third party involved, usually one who has a bit more punch than the practitioner themselves. Finally, we have the jinx. A jinx is low effort, low energy, and often yields minimal results. It's essentially directing unspecified ill will towards another. There's no focused intent other than an expression of a person's anger or jealousy. Now, Amy has a few caveats to remember. First is that magic is not foolproof. If you take action to magically protect yourself or another, and something bad still happens, you cannot blame yourself. You did the best that you could, and sometimes bad things just happen. It is not your burden to bear. The next caveat is that it is often said that things were, quote, meant to happen, or it's karma, or worse yet, there is something that you needed to learn from this experience. No, that's bullshit. Predestination and magic cannot coexist. Predestination is based on the idea that outcomes are fixed and that no actions that you can take will change the outcome. If that were the case, magic couldn't work. As for karma, well, karma doesn't work like that. Finally, saying that there was something that you were meant to learn from a painful experience is essentially religious-based victim-blaming that does nothing besides strengthen the belief of the person who made the statement. It is cruel and oftentimes said with the intent to break out of the awkwardness that the person feels in that situation. Now that we have all the background stuff out of the way, what's our first step? In this book, our first task is to answer a handful of questions. These will give us a baseline to work from. These questions are all generally short answer and include both beliefs and ethics. The questions are as follows. Number one, do you believe in magic? Number two, how might you use magic? Three, do you believe in magical harm? Four, what would constitute magical harm done to someone else? Five, how do you define self-harm or harm to yourself? Number 5a. Are those two things different? 
Number six, how do you feel about curses, hexes, and jinxes? Seven, do you practice spell work already? Eight, under what situations do you practice or utilize spells? Nine, under what situations would you not use spells? Ten, how do you feel about physical violence? Eleven, have you ever felt the need to use physical violence? Number twelve, how might you deal with a physical threat as opposed to a magical threat? And finally, number thirteen, how do you feel about magical consent? Is it a requirement for spell work? Now these are not rhetorical questions. You are meant to stop, put down the book, and grab a pencil and paper here. You need to answer these questions because it's meant to help you find the outside edges of what you are and are not willing to do. Amy does something unique in this section though. She actually answers her own questions so the reader can understand how and why they need to be answered. I'll read a few select ones to you. First up, do you believe in magical harm? Amy states, I believe harm can be done magically. I know that my magic has probably caused harm, even if it wasn't intended. The example I often give is a job spell. If Joan needs a job to feed her family, to see that they are taken care of and have food to eat, is it ethical for her to do a job spell? Many people say emphatically, yes. Consider that there are other people also applying for that job. Those other people applying most certainly have bills to pay and mouths to feed. And even if they don't, it doesn't mean that they are any more or less in need of a job. When we look at all sides of the issue, there is often a wealth of understanding that needs to take place. So this is something that a lot of mature practitioners eventually struggle with. Doing spell work causes change. That change requires balance. A lot of times people quote the Wiccan Reed or Crowley's Do As Thou Wilt, but these are ways to bypass the reflection needed before committing to a spell. See why these are important questions? You may not be willing to cause direct harm to someone by using spell work, but there's still a chance that you could cause indirect harm to someone somewhere. Next up, I want to take a look at her answer to How do you feel about curses, hexes, and jinxes? Her answer may just surprise you. She says, As stated above, I'm all for them. Not the petty jinx because someone cut me off in traffic, but those involving larger things in life. Domestic violence, hate crimes, child harm, abuse of the elderly, and those sorts of things. Things done to those who cannot stand up for themselves are morally reprehensible to me. Remember, it's not our job to heal our abusers. I feel like that last part is especially important. There is no justification for being abused. 
the gods don't, quote, have a plan that requires your assault. Think about the statement. It subtly excuses the abuser for their actions. How could they be wrong if they were simply executing the will of a higher power, right? See how terribly insidious that concept is. So next time someone says, quote, there's a bigger picture, or it's part of a higher plan, you are fully justified in feeling angry. Our abusers are not guilt-free. We are not required to forgive them, and we are not responsible for fixing them. Amy reprints this meme in her book from an anonymous Tumblr post entitled, Why Hexing is the Answer. Because it is our right to stand up to our abusers. Because it is bullshit to tell people to just take the abuse. Because it is not our job to heal the people who hurt us. Because we should support self-defense. Because pacifism is one belief that doesn't apply to everybody. Because karma doesn't work the way that you think it works. Because sometimes magic is the last recourse of the downtrodden and the hurt. The people who can't go to law enforcement or the people who are alone in their struggles. And finally, because each person has a right to do what they want with their magic. But what about love and light? Oh boy, don't worry, there's a whole section on that too. Blackthorn entitles that segment, Toxic Positivity and briefly states that by ignoring bad or difficult things that happen to us, we are not able to process them. Without processing and releasing our traumas, they become an integral part of our psyche, which manifests into character traits. She lists a few examples of behaviors based on trauma inflicted on us while we were growing up. For example, if you are suspicious when good things happen to you, it could be because when you were growing up, gifts came with expectations. Nothing is free, and there is always a price to pay, right? If you have trust issues as an adult, it could be because in your youth, your trust was repeatedly abused. Oh, sure, we're totally going to get you that pony for your birthday. This year, we really mean it. Do you see where I'm going with this? Your current problematic personality traits could stem from your environment during your formative years. If you could ignore those issues, if you suppress them with asinine phrases like love and light only, then you are doing yourself a disservice by preventing the opportunity for growth. Specifically, this is called spiritual bypassing, a term coined by psychotherapist John Wellwood. By his definition, spiritual bypassing is spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep personal, emotional, unfinished business, to shore up a shaky sense of self, or to belittle basic needs, feelings, and developmental tasks. Basically, it's using spirituality as an avoidance behavior. I'm sure at this point you're asking, is there any magic in this book, or is it all shadow work and psychology? 
Okay, yes, there is. I just spent a good bit of time on these specific aspects because they are often overlooked in other titles. Frankly, this information is pretty important to, really, everyone, but it's often overlooked for the flashier aspects of spellcraft. If you go into this thinking that the best way to solve your problems is through magic, you're going to get yourself, or somebody else, hurt. Now, since this book is about protection magic, the first task is going to be to figure out what exactly you need protection from. Considering that you're reading a book about magic, there's a good chance that your concern is for curses. I've worked in a metaphysical shop myself, and it was a rare week that somebody didn't walk in thinking that they were cursed. Amy has created a neat little checklist with a few handy questions. Basically, you go down the list and place a check next to anything that applies. You can tell that she worked in security. Not only is this a checklist, but it's called the Curse Threat Assessment. There are nine questions as follows. Remember, check those that apply. You have had a run of bad luck. You have had unexpected pain. You have a perception of soul loss or soul theft. You have a perception of people talking about you, especially disembodied voices. You have sudden clumsiness. You have feelings of someone standing on your chest or your arms. You feel run down without cause. You're having out-of-the-ordinary nightmares. And finally, you have the feeling of being watched or followed. So if you checked up to three of the above questions, you're probably fine. It could be a run of bad luck, so some basic cleansing and a warding spell couldn't hurt. If you have four to six checks, it's likely that you are the target of a jinx. That means you have been specifically targeted, but not by anything with much force behind it. You'll need to do some more intensive work, but you should be able to break or redirect it without too much effort. Unless, of course, you are the source of your own jinx. Remember, a jinx is usually the result of unspecified ill will towards a target. If you are going through a hard time, you may be engaging in some rather harmful inner dialogue. So stop it. That only makes things worse. If you have checked seven to nine of these questions, there is a very good chance that you are either hexed or cursed. You'll need to cleanse your home, your work, your vehicle, basically any place that you physically exist for any length of time. Then you need to do some curse-breaking spells and probably some blessings, wards, and shielding spells. There's more details on these specific tasks later in the book. Here's where things get a little weird. There were only nine questions in the threat assessment. I'm not sure if one of the questions was accidentally overlooked or what, but there is a category for what to do if you have 10 checks or more, and that is to seek professional help. Unless you yourself are a skilled, experienced practitioner, you are likely in over your head. You'll need some form of clergy and probably a group of people to help break that curse. 
Man, looking back, there were several times throughout my life that I may have legitimately been on the receiving end of a hex. Oh well, as they say in Monty Python, I got better. Okay, so what do you do if you want to prevent all this nastiness from happening in the first place? We've got a handful of options, which are all broken down into three categories. Mind, body, and spirit. You'll need a bit of each to have an all-encompassing protective barrier. Starting with the mind, we have two options, in addition to shadow work, which I have already covered previously. You have crystals and meditation. In the crystals section, you get exactly what you'd expect. A list of crystals, their descriptions, and their properties. What I like best about this section isn't the crystal correspondences, because, let's face it, those can be found literally everywhere. But it's the way to spot fake crystals. This is something that should be listed far more often than it is. Amy has worked in metaphysical shops and has visited many metaphysical shops, so she is used to seeing real crystals and is used to spawning counterfeit crystals. The list is alphabetical in the book, but I want to jump around and highlight some of the best advice. First up, dyed crystals. Certain stones take dyes very, very well. These stones are sometimes dyed as a novelty, to get more color variation in a crystal grab bag, or to resemble more valuable stones. Amy says that you can tell dyed stones right away by looking at the cracks. If the cracks of the stone are darker than the stone around it, it's been dyed. That's because the dye soaks into the cracks more readily than it does into the intact stone. Additionally, if you scratch the stone's surface and the resulting scratch is white, there is also a good chance that it's dyed howlite. This next one is rather tricky. Malachite. For those of you unfamiliar, malachite is a green stone with bands of various shades swirled together. It's rather pretty when it's polished, making it quite popular. The first thing you need to do when you find malachite is to check its weight. It should be heavier than you expect. This comes from the high copper content within the stone. Conversely, if it is lighter than you would expect, you've got yourself a piece of polymer clay. This is becoming more common since these materials can easily, and safely, replicate malachite. If you want a piece of jewelry, this isn't a bad way to go. If you want the metaphysical properties, you'll need the real thing. Another popular stone that is growing more difficult to find is amber. Amber shouldn't float. Yes, that seems obvious that a stone shouldn't float. But, amber specifically has a lot of fakes out there. If it floats, then it's fake. It is also super common to find reconstructed amber that is created from offcuts or shavings from a solid piece. These scraps are heated and pressed into a new, solid form. Sometimes resins can be used to stabilize this, but not always. 
This is a tricky area because, yes, it is still amber, but it's not a solid single chunk. Finally, we have a stone that has been wildly popular for the past few decades. Moldavite. Real Moldavite should have micro-bubbles in it, possible inclusions, and a slightly rough texture. If it's super smooth or has a sandpaper-like grittiness, it's probably fake. Nobody wants to do crystal magic while unwittingly using a broken piece of a Heineken or Jägermeister bottle. Moving on to the meditation portion. There is a good foundation for creating a meditative practice in this book. There are a few variations on standard meditations and visualizations, but what I found most entertaining is what Amy calls the SEP field. SEP is an acronym from the book The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and it stands for Somebody Else's Problem. The idea is that it doesn't make you invisible per se, but makes it so that when people see you, they think, not my problem, and they keep moving. To enhance this effect, she recommends a prop. The Clipboard of Authority. Basically, the use of a prop like this makes it seem like you have an extremely important, but mind-numbingly boring, task to complete. A task that other people do not want to get caught up in. While the Clipboard of Authority is the only one mentioned here, I also suggest the Pamphlets of Pain, or the Folder of Confusion, or my personal favorite, the Manila Envelope of Doom. The idea is simple. These props are associated with jobs or tasks that no one wants to get involved with. By behaving as if you are in a hurry with a time-sensitive task while carrying one of these props, people will actively go out of their way to avoid you. You're not invisible, but everyone around you will treat you like you are. Since this episode is starting to run a bit long, I'll quickly summarize the two remaining segments, body and spirit. In the body section, Amy talks about protecting your physical home. This includes crystal grids, ritual cleaning, and even some creative landscaping. Think less about flower arrangements and more about spiky plants or flowers that could cause chemical burns to peeping toms. She also talks about self-defense because, let's face it, sometimes you need a little backup to your magic. There is a really good summary of how to locate a reputable martial arts studio and how to avoid McDojos. In the spirit section, we are instructed on the basics of essential oils, incense, and something I found to be rather unique, tarot spells. Yes, I've known people to use tarot decks in their workings, but this section talks about using old or broken decks, meaning a deck with missing cards, for individual spells. Granted, with the advancement of printing technology, we don't always have to use cards from an expensive deck. We can just print images from the internet and use the iconography that way. Now that's not the entirety of the book. 
There is also a final section containing additional information, such as how to time your spells with astrological formations for better effect, other correspondences that you can use in your workings, and further reading material. Overall, I'm a little conflicted about this book. I felt that a lot of it contained excellent material, especially the non-magical sections. I feel like a lot of that practical information is essential for anyone looking to perform protection magic, because, chances are, they are already in a situation where they need, or will need, this book. To me, you can carry all the talismans and crystals that you like, but if you don't know the fundamentals of self-defense, you're placing yourself at risk. So if that's the case, why am I conflicted? It's really hard to elaborate upon. I guess I feel like this book could have been... more. Now don't get me wrong, the information in here is really, really good. I just wish that Amy would have gone into more depth in certain places. The book feels like it fits in that weird spot where it's, it's more than an introductory book, but it's not quite a special topic book. Personally, I would have liked some of the chapters fleshed out a bit more. It wouldn't have taken much either. Only another 30 or 40 pages total would enhance the book quite a bit. For example, there was a short section on how to spot a scam artist. This was excellent information, since the most common scam artist tactic is to troll people using fear and uncertainty. When that person responds, they begin their performance, which usually involves asking for large sums of money. But that's only one type of scam. What about divination scams like cold readers? What about gurus? There are as many types of scams as there are legitimate forms of spiritual protection. Another section that I felt could have been fleshed out more is the gardening section, which I will elaborate on in the patron extension. There are several plants mentioned with a brief summary of their histories and uses. These summaries are frequently only a single paragraph. The way I would expand on this is to either list a larger quantity of plants using the same length of description, or add more detail for the plants that are listed in the book. You don't need a full pharmacological breakdown of each species, but it would be nice to have multiple tips on how to use them. I'll cease my criticisms there, though, because this really is a pretty good book. If you're new to protection magic, this will be a very good holistic primer for you, since it contains more than the basics as well as a good bit of mundane advice. If you want to get a copy for yourself, I'll post a link in the show notes. As an aside, the link I'm providing is to get an autographed copy directly from Amy Blackthorne. The cool part is that the book is still cover price and the proceeds from the sale will go directly to Amy. The Esoteric Book Club can also be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, although YouTube is mostly just to archive older episodes. Intro and outro music is from the song Fight Don't Fight and is used courtesy of Sarah Rudy and her band Hello June. 
If you want to hear more, you can find them on bandcamp.com or at wearehellojune.com. Patrons, stick around. I'm going to delve into the later chapters of this book in a bit more detail. If you too want to hear longer episodes, check out the Esoteric Archive at patreon.com forward slash esoteric book club. So until next time, remember, stay weird. It's time once again to open the Esoteric Archive. If I mention the goddess Vesta, most people's first thoughts are of the Vestal Virgins. How many of you actually know who Vesta was? Vesta was the goddess of the hearth and home, and probably because of her association with the hearth, Hi, Techie Joe here. I work with Ace and Knight and some of the best psychics in West Virginia to create amazing live streams and podcasts for the Psychic Coffee Shop Network. Together, we brew up great content discussing news, events, hot topics, and more, all from a psychic perspective. On the Psychic Coffee Shop, we interview amazing authors in the metaphysical realm. Coffee and Tea combines Asen with Tracy, Dottie, Natalie, or Lady Gwendolyn for the good and the bad of being a psychic. Shameless self-promotion with Dottie the Psychic talks to leading and emerging YouTubers and business owners in our community. Mountain Bears brings you the latest in LGBT news and politics. The Psychic That Plans answers the question of, well, how a psychic plans. Plus, we're live on air. We take your comments and your questions, including psychic advice questions. Check out our amazing programming, book an appointment with top psychics, and find out all the wonderful things we have to offer at pcsbnetwork.com today.